Future Design Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Please go to my website and subscribe to my monthly newsletter that includes the review of the four episodes of the month, takeaways, and books and reviews that are read to prepare for the show. You can find the website at fdpod.co. That's fdpod.co. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, please leave a rating and a review that more people like you can find the show. Now that I got that out of the way, please enjoy this week's show. What's up, guys? This is Takato Shishwayama, the host of the Future Design Podcast. These days, when it comes to career choices, I hear a lot of debate on whether being a generalist or a specialist is better. Of course, there's no reason to be dogmatic about it. There are pros and cons to being one or another. However, in this fast moving world where one profession fades out quickly and new ones created, being a jack of all trades does have its benefits. I do feel keeping a broad range of interest, experimenting and changing course every now and then are essential to finding your true passion and maintaining it. In this episode, I have Dustin Miller, the host of the Polymath Polycast, talk to us about the mindset of people who are multidisciplinary and highly specialized in many different fields. What can we absorb from their ethos and how they come about being one? This is not just about career building, but education and the ikigai around learning that can help future proof yourself to be able to adjust in this ever changing world. So, without further ado, here is Dustin Miller. Yo, yo, yo. Podcast. So thank you for being on the show, Dustin Miller, the Poly Innovator. You've done many episodes. You told me it was 72 episodes on interviewing different polymaths. And it will be really interesting to understand what their minds are thinking, you know, when they become polymaths and what it is to become a polymath. So, first of all, just thank you for being on our show. Thank you for having me. Awesome, dude. And As you said, as I said, 72 episodes is a great achievement. You've picked on many different minds. So, before we start out talking about what polymaths are and stuff, let's talk about you.、Uh, who is Dustin Miller that's been doing all these podcasts? Well, and I started doing the polycast a while back when it came to exploring different aspects of Intera, like on your show here, the internal aspects. And these very people I've been talking to, these multidisciplinary people, I wouldn't call them all polymaths. I would say that. And so I went into this thinking like entrepreneurs and polymaths and innovators. And the reason why I was so attracted by to all these innovative people is that I've always wanted to be an innovator. I've always wanted to make a change in the world. And I started my first brand ages ago called United Living Construct to create a hub of innovation. And then eventually kind of fizzled out and evolved into my personal brand, Poly Innovator. 
And so I wanted to build a foundation for all the various careers that I knew I wanted to have in my life. I wanted to work in education and create something through there. I especially wanted to work in smart city development down the, down the line, even gaming and music at some point as well. And I realized if I were to get a degree for all of those, I'd be spending all my years in school rather than doing things. And so I decided, okay, well, screw it. I'm going to create my own degree of my do-it-yourself education, and that way I can modify it when I need to, when I need to pivot to a new phase of poly innovator or my life. Yeah. I mean, right now I think education is not just about going to school. You have so many different softwares out there that provides free education. And, and frankly, the internet has uploaded all of humanity's knowledge there. Right. So, you know, whatever you want to know, it's always there. I mean, when I was in school, I had to go to a library and this is probably different from you because, you know, probably a couple of years, a couple decades older than you. But, uh, you know, when when I had to do my university thesis or whenever, you know, high school or whatever, I had to go to a library, go through the catalog and find the book that I need. And I had to go through so many books to get to the one that I actually needed right now type it in and, and it's right there. So right now it's a great moment for humanity that because the whole knowledge of humanity is right there on the internet and it's so easy to learn about things. And what you're doing right now is trying to come up with different types of educational models so that you can learn so many more things than before, you know, from my generation and, and, and older. So what are the things that uh, really sparked you in this idea that you want to learn so many different things? Because it has to come from curiosity. Yeah. So first and foremost, I think like, all these wealth of resources online, Gutenberg, which is a website where you can download books, just updated and like has a whole new UI and a whole much more books. And it's one of those things where even if you spent all your time on that site getting books, where do you start? How do you consume it all? How do you organize it all? And then there's Coursera for courses, edX for courses, YouTube for videos, Spotify for podcasts, so many resources. Where do you start? How do you organize it? Well, you can't. There is no way of doing it right now. I know Degreed is working on something which is interesting and similar to what I'm trying to do too with what I call the modular degree. This do-it-yourself, self-curated education where you're organizing it into a consumable list of stuff to do or degree-like pattern. And I know there's other people like Laurie Picard who created the No, no Pay MBA or Scott Young who had his MBA. MIT challenged almost a decade ago. And these people who organized their own education with online resources, but they were very niche. Like uh, Scott's was MIT's computer science and hers was uh, MBA. I think that some people are going to want something more divergent. People like myself, people like you, who I had on my show as well. So thank you for coming on. All these people who have these multidisciplinary traits and want to pursue their hobbies or new skills or pivot careers. Where do they start? How do they want to make their own degree? And so that's what I wanted to go for is create a system that people could create their own. Yeah, I think right now in this world, I think Peter Thiel was talking about this, about education. And then, you know, a university degree is not really about going to a university and learning something, but it's what you get out of it is the certificate that you graduated from a certain university, right? It's a piece of paper and the knowledge there can be you know, taken from anywhere. I mean, even if you go to Harvard or MIT, you can learn the same stuff in another university at the same quality or even online if you really spend your time in digging through all the material that's out there in the world. But what makes learning unique is that right now we can curate it 
to our own needs, right? It's not about what the teacher can tell us. It's about finding what you want to learn. And I think that's what education is supposed to be. Seek your curiosity and find what you really want. And, you know, getting a degree, getting a certificate is just to show people that you have something, right? It's just a, you know, vindication of like you've done something and it doesn't really mean anything because if you go out in the world, there's so much more you got to learn anyway. And then it's, it's about continuous education. And right now mm-hmm. with, you know, we talk about AI disrupting jobs and everybody has to upscale and reskill. I mean, this is a, this is a theme that will go on, you know, from now on, right? We always need to continue educating ourselves. And I think what you're trying to do is, you know, apply that kind of thinking uh, forward, right? I mean, how do you actually continue uh, or allow people to continue your, their curiosity and to, not, I don't like use word you know, upskill, reskill because it's just a you know hyped up word. I think it's more about seeking your knowledge and 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 really learning about the world that's around us. Well, and I, I like how you brought it up because that's the whole point behind the modular aspect is that I wanted to make it modular for a lifelong pattern. If you want to pursue just the degree, like, okay, I want to learn this one skill so I can get a job and prove that I know this knowledge. And I, I'm not sure how we're going to go about like the accreditation aspect. Like, obviously, I'm not going to be distance learning accredited at least right away. I'm not going to have any piece of papers that are going to be worth their salt per se, but perhaps by build, helping people build personal brands or helping them build portfolios or capstone project-based learning, which a lot of people are able able to adapt their knowledge much more effectively because of the project anyways it'll help show people like hey this is what i've learned through this modular degree i know it's not a piece of paper but it might be more worthwhile that way mm, yeah yeah and you know in singapore i think asia in general and this is not specific to singapore it's it's all over in this region is that people really want to show people that they've done something and they mm-hmm. value that a lot more than the actual education itself and I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I've done this test, this test, this test for music. But music is not about taking a test, right? I mean, it's about learning how to play, enjoying the music, feeling the music, express your emotions. And it's not about a certificate. And I think there's too much emphasis on like trying to get a certificate or some validation that you've done something. And I, I think we need to break free of that because it does kill the education concept of it. And it's like a means to an end, right? You just do this because you want to do this. Or you want to get this or that uh, to show people that you've done something. So, um, you know, what what do you think, you know, for, for you, education should be um, for future generations? Well, for one, one of the inspirations behind the polycast as well is for these polymathic people, people like you and I who are multidisciplinary. I wouldn't call myself a polymath and I wouldn't consider everyone on my show a polymath. I have had polymaths on there, but I think most of them have been entrepreneurs, people like you two who are experts in a few different fields and just exploring their more generalist tendencies. And I think that there's a large portion of society that are underserved and underdeveloped even who are these multidisciplinary people like ourselves. And we found ourselves a bit along the way, you and I, but there's other people who are more lost and who might not actually acknowledge the fact they may be a jack of all trades. They may even be a polymath without even fully realizing it. And so not only do we need to ignite that curiosity, but with a modular degree, you can make it to where you can branch out. If you want to just focus on one path, become a specialist, 
fine. But if you want to be a polymath and someone who's an expert in many different fields, when well, you can build that out, so that's what I hope from like a Lego-like education, so to speak. Right. I mean, look, I don't think of myself as a polymath, even, even though you, you had me on your show and I still struggle to kind of validate myself that I am. But it's interesting that uh, you're, you're picking up all these people who are polymaths. And they might not be the most famous people in this earth, but you know there are people who are not well known, maybe because it's it's not in their interest to be known to the world that they are multidisciplinary people. And I think that what you're doing is bringing them the light and trying to pick on their brains to understand what it is to become a polymath and and their methods. So can you tell us? in plain simple words what you after all these 72 episodes that you've done what what is it what is a polymath well and that's something i'm still working on because i still have more people to come and i want to compile all people's answers on the question i asked and like i said not everyone is on the show is a polymath but they still understand the idea of like being multidisciplinary and pursuing that and some of the biggest themes I've seen is obviously indulging in your curiosity. People who are polymathic are curious. They're focusing on what do I want to know and how do I learn it and actually going about doing it versus just saying, oh, I'm curious about that, but I'm not going to actually do anything about it. Beyond that, a polymath is someone with many learnings and actually being able to dig deep into a many different areas. They're not just a specialist, but they're a multi-specialist. And there's people like Michael Araki or Angela Cautalesa who have done actual papers on it and studying how to become a polymath. And when I talked to Angela on the show, she was taught, her dissertation was about polymathy. And she interviewed people who she considered polymaths and asked them various different questions. And it's interesting how it really does come down to a deep level of knowledge in many different areas, and they don't have to be related. In fact, Leonardo da Vinci, who's a prime example of like a true polymath, mm. he was an artist, a sculptor, an engineer. He was building cities. He built, designed the first smart city even. People don't even realize that. He designed the world's first parachute and an underwater suit, all kinds of crazy things. He was definitely a polymath. He designed his art through his knowledge of architecture and physics and actually understanding the li geometric lines. So it's fascinating. Yeah, I think in our modern society, we've focused too much on specializing in one thing and then creating a job out of it. And, you know, before, as you said, Mike um, Da Vinci was not didn't have a real profession per se, right? I mean, he painted, he he invented things. He thought about many different things because he was not categorized into a certain job and he, he was able to pursue whatever he wanted. Of course, he probably needed the financial means to do it, but there was no such thing as I do, I do this because I'm this kind of person and I do this job. And I think right now, because of our education system, our schools are, are, printing out people who are made who are who who they want to design as people of workers for this modern society right and yeah. they want to you know create people so that they become obedient citizens of the world that they go to work and do their nine to five or whatever and come back home and and i think that really killed off a lot of people's curiosity about the world and i think that we need to go back to it and maybe this whole movement around disrupting jobs with ai and all that things might be a a way for us to go back to that kind of world where we can be and maybe i'm being very utopian about this idea uh, right now i mean obviously i have my I yeah i have my uh, my deep deep uh concerns about ai but i think 
you know, if I were to look at a good side of it, it is that we can finally be able to pursue what we want to do without having the the balls and chains of having going to work to, and to do a specific task every day. Right. And ignoring things like the singularity and overall like AI going evil and going rogue, those kind of extremes. I do think that AI itself is not disrupting jobs in a negative way. Sure. We're losing the lower level jobs right now, but the, the ecosystem that's going to come forth out of that. Like I said about the monster degree, I want it to be Lego like, well, I do think that you have to have someone pushing you in the direction, whether that's a mentor or AI, it doesn't really matter. I do think that the mentor could also help use AI to help have a personal touch to it because the AI might come up with the ideas. Okay. Well, you like these courses when you're probably going to like this. And someone mentioned to me when I was talking to an educator is that sometimes the best learning we have is a class that we may not actually know we want. Steve Jobs didn't know that he wanted to learn typography until he took a calligraphy class. And that's what, after he quit college, that's after he dropped out and just walked into the class and started doing calligraphy. And so that was a class that was sprung upon him. And actually he didn't sign up for it, didn't want to do it. He just found curiosity and went for it. And I think that with AI, I can see like, hey, you're missing this skill. Well, you're just like, I don't want to learn that skill. Well, the AI can tell you should learn it. And the mentor could help communicate that and say, hey, you should probably try this out. If it doesn't work, it's modular. Go try something else, but try it out. Then you fall in love with it and it becomes your new career for all we know. Yeah, I think right now the AI al- algorithms out there are, are only spinning out things that you already have interest in. And I think the algorithms need to be able to, you know, direct you in a different direction than where you're going. And I think that that goes for social media, you know, Netflix and Spotify and all those kind of things is that they always give you the same thing or similar things because they know a specific thing about you that you might have a personal taste for it. But I think that uh, we need a different technology to diversify ourselves. You know, we need to get out of our own, you know, very narrow idea of, of personal taste and explore the world. And I think that's what's starting to lose a lot more than before and that's what i think you know the the modern education that we had at least gave us various different different options i mean they they taught us science they taught us literature they taught us you know math all these things but then now with these particular ai algorithms that we have now is like oh you like this pursue more so it makes us more more specified in a certain topic that we have personal interest, which is not bad, which is not bad because we could go really deep into a certain thing. And I use a lot of social media to do that. I feed a lot of my personal interest to it so I could get more out of it. But the thing is, yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think that, you know, there is a, you know, we're we're talking about a lot about this social dilemma, you know, that, that, that Netflix um, documentary that came out and saying, you know, the algorithm is always going to give you a certain thing. But the thing is, if you can, you know, take that to your advantage and say, I, I want to learn spe- specifically about this thing. And you feed your algorithms so that you could get more and more of it. Like, for instance, like I have a huge interest in uh, jujitsu because that's what I practice. I have a huge interest in ancient civilizations. So I want to know more about it. So all I do is like look at those things so I could get more, more and interesting stuff out of it or like music. So I think that's that's actually heading to us in a very good way, in a specific way, but it doesn't allow us to be more diversified, more polymathic, you know, mindset, give us that polymathic mindset for us to be 
interested in, in different things. Well, and I think some people think it's, it's completely inherent or completely not. I think that it's a little bit of both where for me, it was more inherent. I wanted to do many things from a young age. And I understood that even from a young age, may not understood how to do it. And I definitely got fought against to do it, but I understood that I wanted to do many different things. I held six different positions for the first couple of years of my uh, first employment, no less. And that was natural for me. And but there's also people who become polymathic. Roger Federer is like a world famous tennis player, but he was a dabbler. Like this comes from David Epstein's range where he was talking about Roger and how he did almost like 30 different sports before he actually finalized on tennis. Hmm. And it was because of his dabbling that made him so good at what he finally decided to do as a specialist. And then as you get older too, you often either get too old for a sport or get bored of that particular engineering degree that you had, and then you spread out again. So it's almost like a funnel where when you're a jack of all trades, you're like, okay, I want to try different things, put my hands in cookie jars, find what you like. And then you become a master at it and then opens back up later down the line. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I can kind of understand that because, you know, when I was younger too, I had a specific interest in history and all I wanted to do was learn history, but I was good at, you know, different different things I, I i had a huge interest in music sports and all these things and i had you know wide range of things but then i you know as i got older i, I needed to you know specialize in something so i started to specialize in a few different things but as you know now in my 40s now i'm starting to open up again because i know that i have a little bit more time to do other things and and then i can kind of get back some of the curiosity that I had before to, you know, learn more things about different things again. And I think that's mm -hmm. also comes with age, but I think also it comes with the way that we can create time for ourselves. And I think that's what's also missing in our life is that we're too busy. You know, even though we might think that, um, you know, we have time to look at our, you know, phones and, you know, past time or some play games or whatever. But I think that, you know, time is the most valuable thing. And the, because we have time, we have uh, the cap capacity to like pursue different interests. And yeah. I think that, you know, I think from your interviews with these polymaths is that they do create their own time to learn about different things because so, otherwise they won't be able to do that. I mean, you can't cram everything in a, in, in a very short time span. So, you know, how, let's talk about time in that aspect. I mean, you, you've done these interviews, you know, how do they be, how did they become able to like pursue these different interests? Because it, it is a, you know, in a modern society, we don't have that much time if you're too focused on, you know, making a living or, you know, caring for a family and you think you don't have time. Two things. First off, you, like you just said there, you think you don't have enough time, but in actuality you do. You don't have to sit there and watch Netflix or go on Disney Plus and watch The Mandalorian or see the new Game of Thrones episodes when they're coming out. All these different shows battling for your time and all the habits you have, the systems you have in place, that's where a lot of it runs down to. You probably have some bad habits you can kink out and have a few more hours per day. And then if you have a family, sure, that takes up a lot of time, but eventually your kids are going to grow up a little bit and have their own school and have your time back again. So I don't think that necessarily has too much of an impact. I think what happens is our societal norms, something else you touched on earlier, is that since the Industrial Revolution, we've been kind of forced into this specialist mindset. And David Epstein also talks about how specialism is for ants. 
like being becoming a specialist is for ants for insects because that's what they have to do we're human beings we're multimodal we have different mental models and different aspects behind our existence our curiosity to do many different things like i said earlier i think there's a lot of subset of the population who are underdeveloped because they are more polymathic by nature but i think we all are to a certain degree we're all generalists by nature and then we specialize for whatever role we're needed in society for and if you look at the ikigai, for example, what you're good at, what the world needs, what you can get paid for, and what you enjoy doing, well, not all of those are going to be the same thing. That's at least four areas of your life that if they're not all being the same thing, that's four areas of your life that all come together. Well, you have to spend time doing those things. Eventually, if you work it out, you can find your ikigai, and that becomes one specialty. But maybe you have to be a polymath to find it or be a polymath to even do it. And I think that, too, beyond the nine to five role, because we're talking all the way across the planet here. It's it's almost 9 p.m. for me here. I, I'm waking up now. This is my time where I start to be really excited and woken up and that kind of thing. And so for you, it's also like morning. And so the nine to five doesn't work. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem to work for our, our new globalization, globalized society, so to speak. I think we have to have a new model for work and how we approach time and how we approach our own habits. Yeah, the societal construct uh, makes us become specialized, and I, I I think that that's some, you know, the, the norm that we really need to challenge ourselves because, you know, yes, you have to go out and earn a living and provide for your family, but, you know, you you have limited time on this earth, and you have limited time as being a human being to spend. 80 or 90 years in this life and you have to make the most of it and I think about that quite a lot ever since I was a kid because you know time is in a way short even though I feel it's it's been quite long for me <laughs> but but it is quite short and You're still very young. yeah I know I, I I kind of like I'm trying to not think that I'm old because I'm just looking at you <laughs> but uh, um, yeah so you know in, in that short time span that we have I mean we, we can make so much impact and I was talking to another person that potentially could be one of our guests and we were talking about about you know what is it that ticks us and what is it that makes us happy what is it that makes us alive and i think that's one thing that we really need to start thinking about again and especially during this time that we're in right now we're confined to our houses most of the time and we start to realize that hey actually you don't need to work that long hours to perform our tasks right and and then you have this extra time and you're not going to go spend it on social media or like netflix and and all that stuff and what are you going to do with that time and i think that this is a time to really think about what it is that we want out of this life and what, what, how do we want to spend that time and think about the quality of time. And I think that, you know, what, what, so tell us like, you know, from, from all the polymaths that you spoke to, or maybe some of them are not, but what is it that they are really determined to do in, in this life? Many of them are striving to make a change as well. Mm-hmm. And I, like I said, like not all of them are polymaths, some of them are extreme specialists. One of the person I had on was a quantum researcher, and she was focused on that. But the reason why I thought she would be a good guest for the show is that not only is she a quantum physicist, so to speak, and she's also 
content creator. She was also a programmer. She was also someone who was doing presentations and stuff like that. And so there's plenty of different aspects to her life that made her multidisciplinary. Well, she's she's probably an expert in a few different fields, but she's still not polymath level yet. Polymath is someone with like expert level in many different areas. And so I think that in order to become something like that and have the time to expel all the interest in many different areas, you have to create systems and create ways of organizing your time just as you're speaking there, it made me think of time blocking and there's always deep work. In fact, that particular guest I had on, Anastasia, she she mentioned deep work as a big motivator for her by Cal Newport. And I think it's interesting how when you want to spread yourself so thin, as some people say, I think that you have to have yourself be really organized. I do think that a lot of people become polymaths by doing one thing right after the other. But there's also a subset of polymathic people who do a jack-of-all-trades approach where they do all the hands of different cookie jars and they don't focus. They just keep doing different hands in the cookie jars and all four, five, eight cookie jars end up growing at the same rate. Even if it's slower, at some point, they're all going to be at a higher level. Hmm, interesting. It kind of, um, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the type that actually I need to focus on one thing and then just do that for a long while and then move on to another thing. And I find that people who can multitask at the same same time, I know people who can read different books at, you know, one go. And those are things that I don't have the capacity to do. I don't know how to multitask in that way. But, um, you know, for people who, who can do that, you know, wh- what is their, you know, approach to doing multiple things at one time? Because I find that pretty difficult to do. Well, here's the deal. Humans can't multitask. We're a single function brain people. Like we can only do one thing at a time, but that doesn't mean that in a more macro scale, you can divulge into other curiosities and do other things as well. Right now I'm recording this with you. After this, I'm going to go finish some of the stuff from my latest episode. Well, then I also need to work on my website, my new one that I just built. And I also need to go play some video games at some point to relax. And I'll also go teach something tomorrow at the gym. And so I'm doing many different things, but it's not like I'm doing them all at once. And I think a lot of people get that confused. There's something I want to say, because I think a lot of people get this confused. The jack of all trades, master of none. But that's not the full Mm. saying. The full saying also continues to say, but also sometimes better than a master of one. Because when you are a jack of all trades, you see the interdisciplinary knowledge, the transferable skills between these different pillars of knowledge or trees, as I like to call them. And those trees branch together. And that's one thing I was talking with uh, Abhishek Lehori, who we were talking about the forest of knowledge, so to speak, and how you're building up these different trees. Well, at some point, those trees are going to interact and you're going to find a new innovative path between them. But also, too, it becomes easy to learn those newer skills because then you have more to pull from, from all these different trees. You have different aspects behind that deep level of knowledge in one area that actually transfer over to another one. Hmm, interesting. I guess when you start learning about something, then something sparks you. So you can't really design it the way you actually wanted to. I mean, you just have to go with the flow and then seek what your curiosity leads you to. And I think that's really important as well because a lot of times you think you know what you want, but you don't. And mm-hmm. and you have to allow yourself that capacity, the space to figure out who you are and what your interests are and and let yourself flow, like the free flowing of life, right? I mean, you have to flow with that. And yeah, I think I think a lot of people just kind of stop at certain things and then just say, okay, well, I've done this, so you know, I'll just move on to something else uh, and I'll think about it. But if you pursue something even deeply, 
then you can actually you don't have to think about it. It just comes natural to you. Yeah. yeah. And I, I sort of agree and disagree when it comes to the go with the flow kind of thing. I think that you can be polymath and go with the flow and that kind of thing, but you're going to be more of a multi-potentialite, someone who has the potential to do many different things, but is yet to really do that much. But the difference between a multi-potentialite and a polymath is someone who has done very much in many different areas. And I think that in order to do so, you do have to have systems. Like I've been creating a life operating system, as August Bradley calls it, in Notion, Notion.so, where it's a tool that combines databases and documents and Kanban boards and even Gantt charts all into one cohesive system that you can link together. And you can create this almost second brain, like Tiago Forte talks about as well, and put it all together. And that way you have an organized system. Okay, this is what I need to work on then. This is how I do it then. And when you have systems like that, or the Zettelkast and all these different examples that are keywords that people can look up when they hear this. But I think that a lot of like Leonardo notebooks, Leonardo da Vinci's notebooks, that was his kind of way of having his system. That was the best system they could have at the time. Now with technology, we have Coda, we have Notion, we have Rome, we have all these different other project management tools. There's a whole crap ton out there that you can use to organize your life. And so I don't think it's necessarily going with the flow per se. It could be going with what your interests lie, but more so like, okay, what do I need to focus on today in the micro? And what do I need to focus on in the macro? I have a little fireside micro podcast talking about macro and micro focus even. Hmm. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit more. So so when you say like, you know, focus on the micro, but then also think about the, the macro. I mean, you know, I think that, in my in my kind of understanding of that is that you want to have like a kind of big picture you know bird's eye view of like what you want to achieve but then you know you kind of make these subsets of things that you really need to focus on to get to that expert level of of um, understanding and is that is that the way that everybody kind of frames it well, and I think that regardless of you're a generalist or a specialist, you should probably frame it like that. Because at this point, you need to have the head in the clouds, but also your hands in the mud and doing stuff. Um, I, I feel like I'm not working fast enough right now when I'm getting all my projects done. I'm working on things every day. You were talking to me before the uh, episode that I actually decided to focus on consistency when I did these interviews. And so around July-ish, I just started doing them every week. No, actually around June, I decided, okay, I was releasing them basically as I got them done and was kept going them out. It's like, okay, I need to have a little bit more of a reliant system and have consistency so people can expect it. Let's do one a week. I was recording them so fast that by the time I got to 20, it was already like October. And then when I got to 30, it was starting to basically get to November. And I was like, okay, there's literally another 40 people, including you, who are waiting on me to get this out there. And I was doing stuff every single day. I was working on the episodes. I was doing the other three series that I have for my polycast, as well as all the other content I'm creating. And so I'm, I was working on that micro content every day, but the macro is out of whack. Because by the basically you, your episode that you had on, wouldn't come out till next year if we were to keep doing that same route. So my macro was messed up. I had to reevaluate and I decided uh, about two weeks ago, I was like, screw it. Let's just do daily so I can get them all out. People can be happy. Not to mention too, technically daily is consistency. Let's see if that works. And so I reevaluated my mac- macro and basically changed my micro because of it. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I guess, you know, you need to have a systematic approach to a lot of things, but, you know, you always need to pivot in some, you know, sometimes, right? And and when when do they really decide that they need to pivot? Because I think a lot of people get 
really accustomed to like a certain way of doing things and they get really stuck on that. So, you know, you need to have that flexibility to yeah. to switch what you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, that's the kind of point there where the people get used to it. And so you've, you, you need to pivot basically when things stop working. That old system wasn't working for me anymore. It worked for a while, but then I needed a pivot. And it is interesting too, because my Omni content is my main series, or I call it my main series, but I created a, a hell of a lot more polycasts than I have my Omni content. But the Omni content I was wanting to do at the beginning of the year, every single day, which just for people who don't know about it, it's I create a blog post, I turn that into a slideshow, I record over that and create a video, then I take the audio out and make a polycast. It was built with content repurposing and Omni channel content in mind problem was I didn't have the right tools. Like I was talking to you before the episode about the right tools and the right systems in place. So at this point, I've only made five all year, which is ridiculous. And so I was trying to, I was focusing on so much at the beginning of the year, trying to get this out. It's like, well, this is not working. I need to pivot. And I tried doing other things. Eventually I came across Matchmaker, which is how we came across each other. And that tool is what helped me get all these people on my show and get started that way. Mm. And so I made a pivot and changed. And so you just have to find things that are not working and then change them and constantly iterate your life. Mm. And with the other guests that you always had uh, with these poly innovators, um, what is also like some other common traits that you found that think that you can, you know, even normal people can apply to their everyday lives? Hmm. Yeah, you had a Freudian slip right there. You're saying poly innovators. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so when it comes to things that people can apply, in addition to the polycast, I created what I call the personal poly innovation system. And this actually started out as just self edudevments, which is just a combination of self education, self improvement, and self development. And I think that's something that most people think are all oh, those mean all the same thing. But in actuality, they don't. They mean more detailed than that. Self-education is that autodidactic, that self-learning and just trying to find a new skill. If you want to go learn how to blog or learn how to create a podcast, well, you have to teach yourself first. You're not going to be able to find a mentor, let alone anything else, until you teach yourself what you can learn in a library or on Google. The next step would be the self-improvement. So we're talking about systems. Well, systems only form when you have a habit. Habits only can continuously form if you have a system. So it's a little mm. cycle there mm. where habits and systems really are conducive to your continuous improvement that 1% or one to 4% every day, so to speak. And that's a little kind of joke for the, four, uh, the flow people out there, people who love the flow state. But, um, and the next aspect would be the self-development appear. So the self-development is more complicated. It's the four pillars, as I call them, the mind, the body, the spirit, and emotions, which I think is very important for Intera, where when you try to find a balance between all four of those areas, it really leads to exponential growth. So you have the foundation of self-education, the continuous improvement of self-improvement, and the exponentiality of mm -hmm. self-development. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and since you talked about mind and emotions, and you know, what are some of the the habits that people do outside of their learning habits, uh, what they do to keep themselves at top speed. Top speed. Well, let's just think of it in a simple way. The mind-body connection is probably the strongest to go off of at first. And so a lot of people will pursue their mental pillar, mind pillar, so to speak, when it comes to getting a degree and going to school, or maybe uh, my personal satisfaction of going on Google deep dives and rabbit holes and learning things. When I want to learn something, I'll go on Google images, Google search and Google videos and open up a couple hundred tabs and just dive right in. And so that's one way of kind of 
boosting your knowledge, but there's also things like stimulus. So playing Tetris to train the brain at being faster, hand-eye coordination of playing Call of Duty, for example, that kind of stimulus, so to speak, to build the neuroplasticity and new connections and synapses in the brain. And then for the body, people can go to the gym and build themselves up. And I think it's just being able to simplify these pillars into actionable tasks that you can do every day or however often you want to do it. And those eventually form into systems. Like for example, I work at a recreation center as a day job. Well, I have a system there when I work, I can go work out. It's a nice way of just habit stacking onto that work. And so when the pandemic hit, actually I was kind of screwed because I stopped stopped working and stopped working out at the same time because I lost the job at that particular point. And so it's like, okay, you have to really keep iterating because I lost my habit and my system at the same time. I couldn't rely on one or the other to build the other back up. In that case, you need to just focus on doing it again and again and kind of snowballing it again. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, no, it does. And, you know, I I find that also, you know, setting up your systems so that you can continuously, you know, train yourself, your mind, your body. Um, And what about some of the spiritual things that people do to, you know, kind of uplift themselves, be in that kind of state where they can learn more things, um, be creative? Yeah. So spirituality, I think in a basic sense, you can you can attack on religion to it. You can attack on philosophy to it. But I like to see it as the bridge between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind. So you have the low, lower primal, more emotional mind or the reptilian mind, so to speak. And then the lizard brain, as Seth Godin calls it. And then you have the higher mind, the higher conscious and a lot of times when people get into the state of flow, for example, that hypofrontality, the prefrontal cortex shuts down and you start to be just one with yourself. That's one kind of spiritual experience you can have, but that's also a mental pillar thing too. And so finding the connections between different pillars, I think is a good way to build into spirituality. But meditation, I'm sure you talked about on your show quite a bit in, in Terra. And I think meditation is a great way to build both the spirit and the mind pillar. And not necessarily just clear your mind, but more of like, be present in that moment and try to understand what thoughts are you having? Why are you having that thought? And digging deeper and deeper. Why, why, why? Ask the five whys. Hmm, I see. And, you know, also we, we in, in this entire podcast, we also talk about not just meditation or spirituality, but the philosophies that we have uh, for life. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that kind of goes in with all the technology that we're dealing with at the moment. And you, I know you had a lot of entrepreneurs in the tech space. Um, you, you talked about Anastasia doing, you know, quantum computing and, and physics. Mm-hmm. I mean, those, those, those people who are in that kind of technology space, I think that, you know, the, the importance of handling technology is that you have the right mindset to handle technology. And I, I talked about this so many times, but technology can always lead us to, you know, utopian or dystopian future. And it really depends on the people who are handling it, right? And, um, you know, technology is just a blank state. And, and then we are the ones that actually give it color. And the people that you've been talking to, and you handle a lot of technology as well, is that what is their kind of mindset that they go into when they start, you know, dealing with the technology that they're dealing with? What do you mean? Like, in what way? Well, you know, do they have like a certain ethical principle when they when they go into, you know, doing their business, doing their research? I think that it's pretty similar to what you have talked to with a guest on your show, where it's just a matter of 
trying to find the new innovations. And that's what I think was key is that when you try to find the bridge between two different knowledge areas, it's a great way of innovating. But sometimes you do need to just dig down in one tree of knowledge or one trench, as some people refer to it as, to analogy-wise. Keep digging down into one trench. But I think that when it comes to technology in particular, if you're focusing on this one programming language, but if you look at another, it could teach you something that could have like, let's say there's a certain uh, loop statement or something like that in JavaScript, but you're all in Rust or C++ that you're just, you're so low level, you don't even acknowledge JavaScript as a thing. But some, someone, so, someone built something in JavaScript that could help you tremendously in that deeper level of knowledge or deeper level of programming. And so I think that being able to take from different areas, I think that's the kind of mentality and mindset. Hmm. Now, what I was talking about is that, you know, you, you need to have a certain drive, you know, self-acclimation to achieve something in this world. And it has to come from a certain type of motivation to achieve what they're doing. And then I think, you know, curiosity is obviously is one thing, but sometimes I feel like there's a need for some kind of moral guideline for them to pursue what they're doing. Maybe it's, you know, they want to change the world to, to be, become a better place. I mean... Are they are there common traits to these people? Because that's that's one thing that I really feel that you know is not emphasized enough, not talked about enough. I think for one is the open mindedness. When you talked about the societal norms, like you said, you had a specialized. Well, at that point, it limits you, and it limits you to one type of area. And when you are more exposed to more areas, you're more open to learning even more on top of that. It's, it's, it's exponential at that factor. And I think that at that point, your curiosity drives you to philosophy and learning the why of things. And I think that's a big factor is that a lot of specialists may not look at philosophy as much. And that's a generalization. I know that there's plenty out there who do. But I think that because they're po- people who are polymathic are more generalist, they're able to dive into philosophy much more easily and they're able to learn more from various around the world. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously when I was much younger going into finance, I didn't really have that kind of any, you know, particular principle. But more and more I kind of dove into the world of finance that I found that there was so much things that was lacking. And, and that, that was, that, that's more about the kind of philosophical reasons why they get into finance. Uh, do they have a specific reason that they needed to get into finance? And, you know, I, I went into it, as I said, I, I didn't have anything. So that's why I kind of felt empty while I was doing it. And do I have a specific purpose of investing in certain things or do I have, and I really struggled to find that. And, you know, when I was doing, uh, investing in distressed companies, which means companies that are, are in going into restructuring or some kind of bankruptcy situation, I wanted to find meaning to why I was, why I was investing in these things. I wanted to help companies that are struggling so that, you know, they, the managers, they, the, the employees of that companies can continue on with their lives and, you know, make their workplace a better place. And I needed that, that principle to keep going because otherwise if there was nothing and it was only just about like, oh, uh, if I advance in this, I make money and I'm happy. That's like more of a gaming kind of mentality, right? And I needed something deeper than that. And then the more I dug into that meaning, you know, I, I started to, if I didn't have that, there was nothing there. And that's why I f- feel like whether you're doing technology or education or finance or any, any of these things, if, if there's no like really why I'm doing this, I feel like there's, 
there's 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 not going to be a direction that you can head towards. Well, Takatoshi, I think you answered your own question there when you asked me. Like, just look at yourself for for example, just how you developed. You were specialized. You were in finance. Eventually, you broke into blockchain, podcasting, jujitsu, philosophy, all these different areas. And I think it's just because you found out that doing just one thing, not only for you, but I think for most people, wasn't good enough. And especially now that we have the resources online, I was talking to, I think, Eric Wallace, and we're talking about the modern renaissance through the internet, because it's interesting how this new technology is changing how we are. And something you mentioned with AI, I think that there is a point of human touch to it. Like you said, the color aspect. And something that kept coming to my brain that I want to mention is the information architecture. I think that you mentioned earlier how right now it's based on certain data points. Well, I think in order for AI to evolve farther, it has to do with the information architecture of it and how we organize, how we structure things. And that's one reason why I love using Notion, because I can be able to build my own architecture that way versus Windows folders and items and folders and items. And so there might be some aspect behind the why that will help the how, if that helps at all. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think, you know, this podcast really focuses on the why rather than the how. And because it's not a business podcast, it's not a entrepreneur podcast. I don't really talk about like how they're doing things, but why they're doing things. And then that, and that's, that's the main focus of our conversation as well is that why do we have to become a polymath? Why do we seek the knowledge? hungerness that we have you know what what's what's the ends to that what is the what is what what are we trying to achieve in order to become that well and i would say that there is no reason why you should become a polymath unless you really want to i know there's plenty of people who are like me who are multidisciplinary or like you as well but they're not necessarily wanting to become polymaths they're happy at their state they're happy and maybe that'll change i think that there's some people who i've talked to either on the show or just outside the show who are generalist level, kind of like a middle deep competency level, who are very smart individuals, but they haven't necessarily delved into many different areas a, to a specialty state or expert level. And I think that for them, they're happy, they're content. And if they're content there, then there's no reason to become a polymath. But if there is people who want to pursue farther, who want to do more or innovate more or make a change in the world, I think that becoming a polymath is a great foundation for their reason for being. If they want to pursue their ikigai, well, then maybe you need to become a polymath in order to get to that step, to that level that you need to be. Mm, Yeah. Uh, no, I definitely think about ikigai more than you know before, and uh, it's funny that the the Japanese word ikigai has broken into the global scene, uh, mm-hmm. you know, rather than just sushi and sashimi and all that stuff. And kaizen, <laughs> kaizen as well. Um, and it, I love the fact that a lot of people are thinking about this now because I think uh, we, I think you know, there's a reason why like certain words like this actually make it out into the global scene is that there's no other word to explain things and maybe you can replace that with passion but passion is like only half of ikigai right because it's a reason to live and 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 that that's something that i guess people don't have or they just felt that they, they didn't have so that that word they were just looking for that word because they wanted it and they want that ikigai in their life and then that's why people want to focus on that so much because a lot of times it seems like the society is losing that you know why why do we exist why are we here and i think that philosophical question ever since you know beginning of time is that people are asking me why am i here 
Well, let me touch on that then, because I get the existential terrors quite often <laughs> where I'm thinking, like, why are we here? What should I do? And uh, my reason for being is more along the lines of pursuing that dream. Like, it's hard to explain. I want to help the world become a type one civilization on the Kardashian scale. And I think that's, that's such an immense goal. Where do I start? How do I, why do I think I'm good enough to do it? Well, maybe I'm not, but maybe I could spark the next person who does do it. And the reason why I get like existential terror sometimes is like, there's so much to do in the world. If you look at New York, there's so many restaurants in New York that if you were to go to a new one for every single meal for over 50 years, you would still not be able to experience all the restaurants in New York, let alone the world. And so that's just one aspect of existence, eating, that we can't even fully grasp and fully do anything about. And when you think even a bigger scale, we're talking about AI and where things might end up, utopian or not, there's so much expansiveness beyond that. I, was, I finished watching a show called The Expanse recently where the United Nations became the global government. And so it starts building out. They start moving to Mars. They start moving to the outer rim and all these different new frontiers for us. And there's so much more beyond what we can do, but we're not even anywhere close to being prepared. That's why Elon Musk and Bezos are so motivated too. They have their why because they want us to be prepared. And I think you and I are both trying to do something in our own right as well towards that. Yeah, I think so too. And then I think that what you're doing to bring multidisciplinary mindsets into this world is is there is a huge meaning to that and not everybody wants to be a polymath as you say but there are people who are pursuing that and then giving people even hint at what people are thinking about uh who are polymath and why they want to be a polymath maybe it's just because of curiosity but it could be something that they find their existence in this world uh, is to be a polymath and want to be able to make impact in this world is is huge and you know i just want to leave it at that note but um it, you know going forward i mean obviously i want the listeners to listen to your shows because you know you you bring on so many interesting guests and i i do enjoy watching your podcast um where can people follow you more and know about you well, I mentioned earlier in the episode, I'm rebuilding my website, but the URL will stay the same. It's polyinnovator.space. Uh, and then so at polyinnovator on basically any platform, including blockchain social networks as well. And then the show is called the Polymaths Polycast, where you can find it on pretty much every podcast platform, including Podchaser and Amazon Podcast, which is new, as well as just YouTube as well. I, I record a video like you as well. And so I mean, that way we can get more of a visual learner as well. All right. Awesome. And is there like a final closing note that you want to share with everybody before we close this off? Going back to the personal poly innovation system that I talked about, I think that PPS is really interesting because you can start with educating yourself on whatever new skill you want to learn, indulge that curiosity, build a habit or ritual around doing that new skill and then try to find, see how it affects you in your four major areas of life, the mind, the body, the spirit, and emotions, and internalize that. Awesome. All right. Well, this made a wonderful episode. Thank you very much, Dustin, for your time. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you had enjoyed or disliked the show, please let me know in the comments section. I can only improve or add value to you through your voices. If there are any topics that you'd like me to pick up, please let me know in the comments section as well. I'd love to start chatting with you. And if you like to continue listening to the show, please subscribe. Thank you.